Hey, this is Rich Ward from Fozzie, and you have great taste in music because you're listening to Focus on Metal. Trust me, I know. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you once again to another week of Focus on Metal. So, hopefully after the uh, last two weeks worth of the show, you know everything there is to know about the one, the only, James Kotak. And a big shout out to James for actually putting out on social media that uh, his talk with us was uh, available and uh, just definitely appreciate him publicizing that. Pretty cool. I know that Doug did that as well when we had the uh, Doug Aldridge two-part retrospective back in October. But uh, yeah, wow, the year is moving on. Only a few weeks left here in 2017. And I got to tell you, 2018 is drawing up fast. And why do I mention that? Well, pretty much because I know we've been talking all year about trying for once to wrap up one of our big projects in a single year. And of course, this year's project has been Kerrang, at least the good old days of Kerrang. And I know that the day that I'm actually mixing this whole episode up received several texts from Richie about his efforts to scramble and get a few last interviews in so we could actually get that thing nailed down this year. So we'll see what happens. I know he's working hard trying to get that all done, but of course, then it also means getting that and editing it, putting it in a show and all that, getting the time for us to get together and talk about crap. But uh, as I said, he is you know, earnestly trying to see if we can wrap that thing up right in uh, 2017. And uh, we are also trying to get in one more Saxon episode in our our never-ending series of Saxon albums that we always get requests about when we're doing the next one. And uh, we are due to do the next one. Just have to obtain uh, some audio recordings that Richie did a few weeks back, and we'll be able to sit down, talk about that one, and have a special guest for the show. And pretty much hint on the special guest is that there's one person in this entire world that is more qualified to talk about Saxon albums than probably anybody else. And uh, we've got that guy who will be on the show as we uh, do our next Saxon episode. So hopefully that'll all be coming up in December. So something to look forward there. But uh, this week... Our guest is uh, Rich Ward from Fozzie. They just put out their brand new one, Judas. And we got Rich on the show talking all about the new album, about Fozzie and all that good stuff. And we'll get into that right after Track of the Week. All right, been a few weeks since we did Track of the Week, but uh, we've got a strong contender this week. And I was actually reading through the promo sheet that came my way along with the album. And I was like, holy crap, has it been almost two years since I've had this guy on the show talking about their prior album? And I look back and, wow, it really has been. And the guy I'm talking about is Mark Fox. And the band I'm talking about is Chakra. That's right. It's been almost two years since I had Mark on the show talking about their latest release, which was High Noon. And that was, of course, if you remember correctly or if you were a listener back then, that was uh, the big thing was that Mark Fox was back in the band, kind of like getting the whole team back together and uh, returned to form for Chakra. 
And that definitely was a great album. And so here we are two years later. And uh, if you listen to this on the week that this comes out, then uh, last Friday, those guys released Snakes and Ladders, the 11th album from Chakra. Yep, 11 albums in, and these guys are still going strong. And uh, just kind of all across the board on here. And the opening track, Cassandra's Curse, is about all the stuff going on in the world. And uh, then they kind of have some of the more, you know, straight up rock songs like Friday Nightmare or Snakes and Ladders, just all kinds of stuff. A little bit of bluesy stuff in here. There's a ballad in here, of course, called uh, Something You Don't Understand. That one there, Thomas Muster, the uh, guitar player and uh, pretty much the, the kind of partner in the whole deal here. He uh, he says that's probably one of the best songs he's ever written. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a power ballad, so I'm going to have to not be the guy to weigh in on that one. But uh, definitely, I think everything on here, 12 good, solid tracks, despite the power ballad, on on Snakes and Ladders. So another uh, successful release from our buddies over at AFM Records. So I uh, kind of looked through all of this and definitely was uh, more into a lot of those those kind of straight-out rockers. A couple of good ones on here, and uh, the one I'd like to play for you as track of the week is track number eight. It's called I Will Rise Again. So here you go from the brand new one from Chakra called Snakes and Ladders. Came out on November 24th via AFM Records. This is I Will Rise Again. There you go, fresh off the new one from Chakra called Snakes and Ladders. And of course, you want to hook up with those guys on the web, you can go to chakra.ch because of course these guys are from Switzerland and also on Facebook, facebook.com slash chakra band. 
And also, just let you know that I am working with the PR guy to see whether or not I can get uh, Mark back on the show to talk about this one. He uh, was available about two weeks ago, but I had a lot of things going on in my life at that point and wasn't really able to uh, get within that uh, time frame for the interview schedule because, of course, talking to the guys in Europe, it's not like I can talk to them at 8 o'clock Eastern time. They're, they're earlier in the day. Just couldn't work out, but uh, I am working back with the uh, record company PR guy. See whether I can get Mark on at a better time slot and uh, let you guys hear right from him all about snakes and ladders. So when we get on to our guest of the week, that is Rich the Duke Ward, guitar player and uh, actually founder of the band Fozzie. Of course, back in the day, it started out as Fozzie Osborne, and and I almost wish that we were able to interview uh, Chris Jericho back there in the early stages of the band when he was going as a Mongoose McQueen and refusing to admit that he was in fact Chris Jericho, and I just thought that would be a it's always fun, you know, when you talk to these guys that are in character on a band, it makes for a fun interview. Almost wish we could go back there, but nonetheless, we were able to sit down with Rich Ward and the uh, occasion, of course, being the release of the seventh album by Fozzie. Uh, two albums they did early on with cover stuff and then uh, five original albums since then. Uh, just released Judas on uh, Metal Blade Records that came out on October 13th. So yes, admittedly, we're a little behind in running this interview, but had a little audio issue with that. It's fixed now, and we are ready to roll with this. And of course, we don't want to have anybody missing uh, a great chat that we had with the Duke. So why don't we get into that right now? guys have been doing kind of a full court press on getting a promotion out for the new album just happy that you actually were able to call in so how you doing man i'm doing fantastic man i really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today hey no problem rich i mean i figure any day you can kick back and talk music with another musician is always going to be a good day especially when you're talking metal good really good i'm you know i'm i love to talk about music so it's uh 
I actually, uh, I would pay for this kind of stuff if it uh, seems weird. This is, when we're on tour, this is all we do is sit in the back of the bus and talk about music. So, uh, this is, uh, for me fun. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, it's, it's cool you say that too, because really this was the foundation of what this show was even built on was kind of that whole premise of, you know, couple of you know metal dudes kicking back on the couch or on the bar stool somewhere and you know just shooting the crap about metal and giving their opinions and talking about how great this guy is and how bad this guy sucks and and all that kind of stuff yeah that's all we do is sit around and talk about metal he'll have a couple of drinks and we'll sit in the back of the bus and just reminisce about the old music and talk about who's uh, the next up and coming and pretty cool yeah exactly exactly and everyone's got their own opinions about who's you know who's the upcoming bands you talk about oh yeah you know have you heard of this guy or no i haven't heard of that guy and yeah i know exactly i hear what you're saying of, of course you know usually those of us you know metalheads getting together talking about it you know we don't we don't have somebody like chris jericho who's going to inject his opinion and you have to kind of Ask yourself whether or not you want to you want to disagree with a guy that's uh, the size that Chris is. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. That's true. Well, wh- where are you located? In? Where do you live? Uh, we're located in Aerosmith Country, about uh, about thirty five miles outside of Boston, almost on the New Hampshire border, but it's still considered to be the Boston area. Yeah, I can tell the accent. Very cool. Yeah, I'm definitely sure that you guys are very familiar with accents because you're uh, you're absolute road dogs out there and, and doing all these tours and, and even hitting lo- little locations and stuff. Even, you know, my co-host Richie, he's uh, originally from Ireland, and he was even noting about the fact that when you guys are out there and you're touring and you, and you do stuff over in the U.K., it isn't just like hitting like one or two spots in England or maybe only playing London, but you guys are playing multiple dates in England, dates in Scotland, but then also – more than just the uh, you know the single one-off, if we get lucky kind of thing in Dublin, but you even do uh, a couple of dates whenever you hit Ireland as well. And uh, you know he's really been impressed with that. And it is pretty uh, pretty impressive the uh, the amount of dates and the amount of road work that you guys put, and not just for big stuff, but little stuff too. Yeah, I think you know I mean we realize that not everyone lives in Dublin and Belfast, and there will be some times that we'll do a tour where the booking agent only puts us in you know Dublin. But but the goal is is to try to do some smaller markets as well because we realize that people not everyone can afford to travel. I mean it's 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 first of all it's expensive to go to a gig and then if you want to buy a t-shirt and a couple of beers at the show and I mean it's an expensive night out. But beyond that, if you have to get on the train or if you have to put gas in the car and travel, it it just becomes difficult. So we've always told our agents to try to do their best to. Uh, make sure that we have some what they call B markets, which is, you know, not just big cities, but also some kind of smaller towns. And, and also the reason that it's good is that some of these working class towns, like people, you know, they don't get a big show every weekend, you know, so they, um, you know, they're really up for the gig. There's a different type of energy that happens in smaller cities that, that you won't find in some of the big towns. And I'm sure being in Boston, you recognize that, that, you know, Boston is like New York City. I mean, when a band goes on tour, the big bands are most likely going to hit there. And so you guys get lots of great shows and you get the opportunity. You're really blessed to, to, to get these great gigs. But someone who, you know, may listen, live in Vermont is not going to get the same level of, of touring acts. And so sometimes when you play in Vermont, there's, uh, a little different type of excitement and energy in the room just because of the appreciation for uh, the bands coming. Yeah, very true. You definitely can see that when you get some of these like bigger bands and they're playing smaller venues and it's a little more intimate 
and yeah, definitely have that appreciation of people that uh, that really want to be there as opposed to the the big night out in the normal dorm kind of thing. And it might even be a week night or something like that. So, you know, I can definitely say that you guys have kind of built that grassroots thing of hitting all those small markets and just building up your fan base the old fashioned way. Yeah, I agree. We did do that. And also, I think part of that comes from the fact that uh, my roots started with a band called Stuck Mojo, where we grew up touring in a van before we had a record deal where we would just play every little small city on the East Coast. And the goal was to just try to build your following by playing every little uh, pub and little roadhouse uh, rock joint. And, and Jericho did the same thing in wrestling. You know, he spent a lot of time touring in a car or, a, a, you know, sharing a vehicle with four or five other wrestlers and all just kind of traveling around playing indie shows. And you recognize that there's a great value to um, making sure that, yeah, you, you have to hit Boston and you have to hit London. But, you know, it's also, like I said, a good idea. If you can get up to, if you can get up to, um, you know, like I said, I mean, there's so many great little off-the-road the spots. I, I think Cork is a great example. We've played Cork two or three times, and it's been some of the best shows that we've ever had. Um, and, you know, and I, like I said, it's a, for a combination of reasons, but part of it is I think there's an appreciation from those fans who say, uh, you know, thanks a lot for not just uh, bypassing us. You know, you talk about going to all these small towns and stuff, and it does bring up kind of that dichotomy of the touring musician. You know, you got the, the touring musicians that pretty much stay on the bus or in the hotel room, and then you got the other guys that uh, tend to go out and find out what's going on and, and, and poke around and sightsee and experience and all that. And so, you know, where on the spectrum do you lie? Are you the uh, stay in the hotel guy or? Uh, no, I'm, a, I'm an adventurer. I, uh, I, I like to, you know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a town like Birmingham, England, where it's, uh, has, it feels more like an American city because, uh, you know, in the city center, it, you know, it, it has, it has more of a kind of a modern metropolitan city feel about it. Um, I may, you know, I may try to find an interesting restaurant or, uh, something that I'm not used to, uh, food wise, something I couldn't necessarily get here in my home city of Atlanta, or I may go see a film, but it's different from when I'm, you know, um, you know, when I'm in Belfast, I always try to go down to Giants Steps, and uh, I, I always try to do the, the touristy things because I recognize there's just so many beautiful pieces of history and landscape, and I like for my eyes to put, you know, uh, as uh, much time and, and as I can get on on just absorbing the world and seeing those kinds of things, and. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh, yeah, the Giants Causeway, we're actually going to be in Belfast, uh, uh, in a couple of months. So I'm going to do that. And when we're in Dublin, I got to go, uh, see Phil Linett's, uh, statue, as I always do. Um, there's, there's always a few things I like to do in certain cities, and then I'll try to find something new. Like, uh, I went down to, um, uh, when we were, I can't remember what city we were in, but I, I took a day trip to go to Wells, uh, a really, really old Roman city in the south of England. Um, and it was, it was gorgeous. I went to a, a church service there just to hear the, 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 the choir. And uh, I, again, I will try to do as many things as I can because I, re I recognize that being in this business has afforded me the ability to experience other cultures and 
expose myself to things that not everybody gets a chance to. So I would, I would hate to throw away those opportunities. Yeah, very true. And, you know, I think back to the, the interview I did with uh, Christina Scabia from Lacuna Coil a while back. And, you know, she's talking about being that adventurer as well and going out and, and seeing things and digging in little shops and all that type of stuff. And, she, you know, about how it, it really kind of takes away a lot of the uh, the downsides of touring and, you know, the feeling cramped up or the feeling of, of uh, you know, maybe getting sick of people and things like that. And it, it kind of gives her a freshness every day in doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think there is some truth to that. And I think part of the reason is, is that uh, um, it's just like anything else. I mean, if you, uh, if you work in an office where there's a lot of people in a small space and you're with each other all day long, uh, the little things that wouldn't normally bother you over a long period of time of being kind of sequestered into a tight area with a lot of people, the little things start to irritate you more, which is, uh, I don't know what that is about human nature that makes us get that way, but it is nice to, uh, and sometimes when I do the sightseeing, I, I go with the band guys because we really do get along really well and there is such a great camaraderie and we are friends. Now we've had some lineup changes over the years. Some were for, uh, musical issues and scheduling issues and some where, hey, the chemistry just wasn't right. But we, we really, over the last uh, six or seven years, have really had a really special lineup and uh, where there is a real chemistry and a vibe. So we have very few moments of tension. Uh, and when there is, I think, because we are of the age that we are, we're not uh, – uh, young 21-year-old kids ready to take over the world, and we have all of this, um, you know, hormonal uh, and uh, and just just ready to go charge up the mountain energy that uh, that sometimes that stuff gets you in trouble. Yeah, uh, that's that's very true. You know, I, I haven't been in a fight in a very long time. I haven't, uh, you know, I find myself making better decisions. And part of that is just because I made those mistakes when I was young and had all those crazy hormones, uh, you know, pushing me up the mountain with a big sword <laughs> ready to take on <laughs> whatever was up there. And uh, it's, you know, so, but on the same side, you know, we, we're really active bands. I mean, we, we, we stay really fit with sports and, uh, exercising, it's a really important part of, of getting older is to make sure that, um, if you're going to be in the entertainment business and you're playing in a high energy rock band, you can't look like an old man. And I don't mean it's because the way you dress. I mean, you have to take care of yourself and you have to recognize that, um, people only have a certain amount of money to spend on entertainment. And if, if they have a choice between seeing a young band who is at, in top form, playing well, looking good with great energy, or they could go see an older band who looks like they gave up and look like they don't give a shit, I think I would spend my money on the younger band. And, um, you know, part of it for me is pride. I don't want to let myself uh, be overrun by the young kids. I still want to be able to say that, like the Rolling Stones, I mean, you look at, you know, Mick Jagger, I saw him with Jericho last summer uh, here in Atlanta. They, they played a stadium here, the football stadium, and they were unbelievable. And Jagger was running and dancing, and he's in his 70s, and he was going crazy. 
He's amazing. Yeah, you're right. I saw him a few years back, and he definitely is uh, still still moving, grooving, and uh, never stops on the stage. And then, of course, there's the uh, you know the immortal uh, Keith Richards as well. And uh, who knows how that guy's still going? <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, he, he's li- he's living the dream, and and I just want to make sure that I do everything to the best of my ability, so that a I don't let my fans down. Uh, b I can stay in this business respectable. Um, be able to hold my head up and say that uh, I've given it everything that I can. Uh, and then, see, I want to be able to look in the mirror and have some pride in, uh, you know, knowing that uh, that I've put my best foot forward. You know, thinking about everything that you just said, did it ever aggravate you at all at the beginning of, uh, of Fozzie, where, you know, at least for the first two albums, people were thinking you were just, you know, like a joke band or just a, a cover band and not really taking you guys serious at all? I've never had a chip on my shoulder about that. Uh, there have been other guys who it, it bothered a little bit. Um, for me, I knew the realization, and that was that uh, at the very beginning of the band, half of, well, the band was was Stuck Mojo. So all of the musicians came from Stuck Mojo, and then uh, Chris Jericho came from the WWF. And... So we have a, a new metal rap rock band mixed with a wrestler. And if someone didn't take us seriously, I kind of understood why. Because we were dressed up in costumes. We started off as a covers band, kind of like Steel Panther, where we were we had fake names and we were wearing costumes. And, and so, you know, we, we started off a certain way. And we, you know, I, I kind of had a, you know, a realization that, uh, that I was just going to have to accept the good with the bad because honestly, at the beginning stages of the band, we didn't even take it super seriously. We were having good fun, and you know, we always took the playing seriously. We always wanted to make sure that we that the albums were as good as they could be, and our live performances were great, and we rehearsed like every other band. But we, at the same time, we didn't take ourselves too seriously. And it wasn't until 2005 with the album All That Remains that. Um, that was our first uh, all originals record, and we had made uh, this the, the the we had made a collective decision that the band was going to change into to something else, um, and that that we realized that not everybody you can't just say we're one thing and then the next day you're something else and not expect people to react. Um, some of them will react negatively, and you know. Life is hard, right? And I, I don't have any expectations that fans are supposed to be nice to me or that the music press has got to be nice to me. All of those things are up to them. All I can do is be the best that I can be um, and and work hard. Um, practice, you know, I still play guitar every day, uh, whether I'm gigging or whether I'm recording or not. I just make sure that I play because I'm passionate about it. But also it's like, it's an exercise, you know. I want to stay good, so I want to put the the, the you know the the sweat equity into it, as they say. Um, but I have no expectations that I I'm supposed to be respected or that somebody is supposed to take me seriously. Uh, you know, that's the one thing about social media that will help you realize quickly is that um, I'll go see a movie and I'll go, yeah, that was a pretty good movie, and then I look on social media and. There's hundreds of people that say that movie sucked. So I, I get this re- I get this realization that we don't all ha- all have to agree, right? 
Uh, and that could, that could be the problem right now that has kind of been created by social media is that everybody thinks they're right. Um, and that if somebody else just says, yeah, I can see why you would think that, but I, I kind of think differently. Um, but nowadays everybody has to convince you that their opinion is the right one. Um, you know, there's a lot of bands of some guys that I become friends with, but I don't really like their band. Like it doesn't speak to me. It's just like food or like I said, movies. Some things resonate to, to me and some things don't. It doesn't mean that it's not good. It doesn't have value or it's not, doesn't, didn't take talent to create. It's just that it didn't speak to me. And, uh, and I think we, we as a society have decided that if something speaks to us, we have to make sure it speaks to everybody else. Uh, <laughs> and it's a little presumptuous, you know? Hey, I'm, I'm okay with not, you know, everyone who likes Steve Vai doesn't necessarily like Joe Bonamassa. It doesn't necessarily like Angus Young. There's enough guitar players out there that uh, we don't always have to think that everybody's the greatest. There's a little bit of everything for everybody. You know, one thing I did notice on the on the new album, Judas, is you know going back to looking at the other albums. Is the new release seems to be uh, I don't know a little bit more polished. It has a little bit more of an approachable element. Maybe uh, even dare say uh, a bit more of a, a pop sheen to it, as opposed to some of the material on like Sin and Bones. I would agree with you absolutely. And 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 part of that, I think, I think part of that is that. Um, there was a there was a thought on the new album that we wouldn't do as much drawing outside of the lines. I mean, if you listen to if you've listened to my career, because I'm the main architect of the sound of of Suck Mojo and Fozzie as far as the blueprints of the songs. So, uh, if you listen to you know these albums, most of the songs uh, musically and melodically, I wrote them. Uh, Chris Jericho obviously is the primary lyricist and sometimes I start with music and then add his lyrics to the music or sometimes I write with his lyrics and then build uh, music and melody around his lyrics. It's, it's not always uh, one way that I do it. So, you know, it, it, it varies depending on the inspiration of the lyric or if I have a great riff first. Um, and part of the, the, the dynamic changed a little bit on the new album because we have a new producer that we're working with, Johnny Andrews, and he now became kind of a part of the sound of the bands because it's the first time that we have uh, collaborated with a producer who uh, is, was a big part of the creative process. He wasn't just there uh, working on the sound of the album with, you know, like one of my favorite producers that I've worked with for years is Andy Sneap. And Andy is much more of a, a sound guy. So he's, you know, he, he will help you and make suggestions about your songs, but he is not going to sit down and write your album with you. I, Johnny Andrews is a lot like, if, if you've ever watched any of those, you know, kind of Metallica documentaries, he's a lot like Bob Rock is. He was very involved in helping to shape the sound and the songs of the album, which we actually were, were really excited about the opportunity to work with, with somebody like that because you know, I grew up loving Queen. I love Roy Thomas Baker. So I love the idea of these producers who were very like Mutt Lang. Um, I mean, you can really tell the influence that Mutt Lang had on ACDC. I mean, you listen to the previous records before Mutt and then you listen to the albums after he left and there's, there's a difference. And so I liked the idea of working with a producer who could push us, uh, 
to be the best that we could be, but also, you know, lend some new ideas and help to, uh, you know, be a, uh, an additional cook in the kitchen with his own spice rack and could make suggestions and, and work with us. So I think part of that process that you may have heard, and I, and, and because left to my own devices, I, I do like Saigon Kicks approach. Like I do like a very dynamic and diverse album. Uh, if you listen, like I said, if you listen back to Stuck Mojo, you'll hear thrash songs and you'll hear blues rock jams and you'll hear new metal sounding stuff all within the context of the same album. And, you know, I was the guy who said we should do a cover of ABBA's SOS on the last album as well. So I, I, I love dynamics. I love those change of pace, but the, Johnny, our producer, really was against the idea of of having this thing be too stretched out in too many directions. He, the word he kept using was, let's make the album focused. He kept talking about Back in Black. He kept talking about um, uh, Pyromania. He kept talking about these big albums for bands like Metallica's Black Album and talking about how they were focused and there was a, it felt like an album, uh, something that had a real cohesive nature to it. So I think that was, that was the focus. This new approach to the album with, with bringing in the producer as part of the writing team and all that, as opposed to prior where you were pretty much steering the ship musically and Chris was doing it lyrically and, and all that, going f- to this new method, did that, you know, did it cause problems? Did it slow you down? Was it uh, a unique and, you know, new experience that uh, you're, you're really happy about? Or, I mean, just, you know, how did that all play out for you uh, as far as things go? I'm super protective and I find it very difficult to collaborate. Uh, and it's a process that I have to learn. Uh, it's because it's not something I've ever really had to do. I mean, I, I collaborate with, with Jericho because uh, he's the lyricist of the band. So sometimes his lyrics don't always fit into the pacing of a song I've written. 
So I'll have to call him and we get on the phone or we're on the bus and we're having a discussion or we do it through email. There's, there's a million different ways depending on where he is and where I am on how we, we work together on some compromise for, for lyrics to do, because our motto is let's do what's best for the song, but everybody always has a different idea on what's best for the song. So we have to find that common ground. Uh, it is difficult working with a producer because he's not in the gang yet, right? Like he hasn't been, he hasn't been there on the bus. He hasn't done the gig. So I became a little more, a little more protective and a little bit more because I didn't understand his work style. I mean, we all, it's like a relationship, right? On you, you take several dates to get to know somebody and figure out, you know, somebody's mannerisms and what makes them happy and what, what you may say that offends them. And, and, and so the same is the same in, in the studio when you're writing songs is that you have to find out what is their style and, uh, and when they say this, what do they really mean? Because musicians are all strange people, right? I mean, we're, um, most of the best, uh, arts, I think, comes from, uh, very, um, uh, you know, I mean, comes from people from, uh, not so perfect backgrounds that, uh, maybe, maybe have, uh, some things in their past that give them a great story to tell within the song, but also there's a lot of broken period people which is why you, you know, you hear about terrible things of, you know, drug addiction and alcoholism and suicide and all these things. It's because I, I think music attracts broken people who, um, are, uh, you know, who have, have things to talk about and want to, you know, want to share those ideas, but they don't, but they're more comfortable sharing them through song. So it's, you have to find out where people are broken and where, how to be respectful and, and and learn how to talk to each other and work together and it took it took a while but for me it all it always comes down to what was you know just you know I'll remember the process of making the Judas album uh, a little bit but I'll remember the final product more right I mean um, sometimes you know with the tension and the uh, we're we're not a band on the level of of Metallica or the Beatles. I don't even have to say that, but I'll say it because someone will take this out of context. But uh, you know, some of the greatest bands of all time had people who didn't necessarily work well together, and I think maybe it's that tension uh, between those people that somewhere created something great. And um, if it is the weird dynamic of Aerosmith and the weird dynamic of the Rolling Stones where the guys, you know, don't necessarily see eye to eye. Maybe the magic is somewhere in that tension and that dysfunction. So, uh, the process was not easy making Judas, but I'm, I'm really happy with the end result. And I think it's uh, some special songs and I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And going through this collaboration process, I mean, there must've been times, right? Where you're thinking this isn't going to work and you know, what are we doing? And, and maybe even being like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. And I, I mean, I know for myself sometimes doing stuff in the studio and you really kind of have these ideas and, and I get what you mean about being protective. And a lot of times you kind of close down and you're like, I really, I think I know better for the song and, you know, this other person doesn't. And, and, you know, and then ultimately afterwards you get something that you didn't expect and you're like, Oh crap. Like, 
I guess I was, I guess I was wrong about that, or maybe I should have listened or you kind of get a little bit of a, a personal development moment going out of that. And sometimes, you know, you, you take it with you and sometimes you kind of forget about it two minutes later, but were there anyone kind of going in here that, that kind of, you went in one way and you came out the other side a different way? Yeah. I mean, um, the, the one song that I, I, uh, there's a song called burn me out, which, um, it, it, it almost felt like a dance track at the beginning. Like I, I, I didn't understand. Like he, he kept saying, "We well, just let's just try it, right?" And I'm, oh, okay, yeah, let's try. It. Let's keep working. And the more that we kept digging, the more I kept going, "No, no, no, this, no, no, this is this doesn't feel natural." And then he said, "Well, what would you, you know, what would you play on guitar?" Um, and then I started kind of playing a little riff, and then he said, w- would you mind if I held a guitar for a minute? I was like, no, go ahead. And then he started playing a riff, and he said, what do you think about that? I was like, I got all kinds of been out of shape because now he's holding my guitar and suggesting that I play this riff this way, and and again, just being so protective and saying, no, this is my job. I play guitar. But the crazy thing is, is that, um, you know, it's just two guys sitting in a room trying to share ideas and the idea that one guy would be upset because uh, the other guy had a different idea. I was the one kind of creating this negative energy and, and, and bringing my issues to the table, you know, halfway through writing the song, I started recognizing, yeah, this is really cool. I'm being an asshole. And then when I heard it on the record, once uh, Jay Rustin mixed the album, and the guitars are really up in the mix, and it's got a really, really cool groove, uh, kind of a bluesy bounce riff to it. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty kick-ass. Uh, um, you know, and, and remember, I always have to r- remind myself that uh, it's okay to be wrong, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, you know, I know back when uh, when I was married, I was wrong every day. You know, thinking about what you just said and just doing kind of a mental rollback of a lot of the tracks that are on the uh, on Judas. I- I'm thinking that possibly the song Elevator may have been another one of these uh, moments of you maybe not really happy with what's going on or not having as much input or say in the song or, or any at all. Yes. And, and Elevator was more Johnny than it was me. I mean, there's a lot of him in his. And the other thing, my biggest problem with Elevator going into it was that it was song kind of about uh, a guy uh you know, you know, and, and a and kind of a, a, a sexual attraction with a lady, and it's like I don't resonate with that at all because, um, you know, again, that's something that uh, that the guys when they're 19 years old write about some girl he saw in a strip club. I don't identify with that anymore because that's not who I am as a guy, and I'm always wanting to write songs that I can identify with. You know, who am I as a guy and you know, is this an extension of who I am as a person? Because I, I mean, I have to play these songs. It's got my name on it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a writer on this. And then, uh, of course, Jericho reminded me of, uh, of, uh, she's my addiction. Uh, you know, some of these other songs that we've written in the past. And then I realized that I was just being, uh, again, kind of a jerk about it because, uh, it was the producer that was suggesting some lyrics and not Jericho because Jericho's written songs about hot chicks. I didn't have any problem when he was doing it. 
So again, these all kind of come down to me uh, just having to get over the fact that I, uh, when you write music in a collaborative environment, and we, you know, and of course I've got Billy Gray, a killer guitar player, and you know Paul DeLeo on bass, and Frank Fonsere, and we have lots of guys in this band who are really talented who have you know, lots of input and, and their sound is all over these albums. So, you know, you, you have to remember, I'm not in a, I'm not a singles tennis player or a golf pro. I'm in a band and being in a band is a collaborative environment. If I want it all to be like Rich Ward, then I should just make solo records for the rest of my life and keep my mouth shut. Um, but working in a band, but it, again, it goes back to, um, uh, sometimes I need to protect my turf. And, de- and defend my position in order for the other person or the other guys in the band to then defend their position. And maybe that we sharpen steel by, you know, all of us coming together and finding, listening to each other and, and, and trying to determine what's the best idea um, by making each other kind of put up our own best arguments for why we think it should go a certain direction and as long as it's done respectfully, I think you can really end up with a better product if everybody's open to listening. You know, you talk about the uh, the new dynamic on this album, but, you know, you and Chris writing together and working together for a long time on that collaboration. I mean, there's right. There's, there's got to be times when uh, when probably that wasn't in sync either. Or, or maybe you've had to uh, had to deal with some feedback from Chris about like, dude, I really just I don't like this song you're doing. Or maybe even that whole thing sparking a debate about whether or not to actually do something or not. <laughs> remember i mean i'm sure there is i mean there's been songs that i've written that he said that he's written back and said no nah, i'm not really feeling this um at, you know it's happened before and i you know for about 10 seconds i take it personal and then i get over myself uh because again i realize it's a, a band environment and he can't sing a song that he's not feeling and and trust me i think he, i think chris has wanted to kill me a few times too because there's been lyrics that he's really loved a lot that I just didn't resonate with. And again, it's not me saying I won't do it. It's not him saying I won't sing it. It is about having, um, you know, tell me why you hate it. Tell me why you're not feeling this song and let's figure out if there's a way we can meet in the middle. And, and if it, if you feel strongly enough, I hear you and I respect it and let's, let's put it to the side and, uh, maybe come back to it later at some point and see if it, if we're feeling differently at a, at a different time. Sure, that actually makes sense. I've, I've done that myself in the past, too, of just kind of set something aside. And, and you know, sometimes even days, weeks, months later, it sounds it sounds totally different. So, you know, whenever Richie comes down to the studio, he looks at all the gear and stuff that I have around. And invariably, he kind of gives me some crap about the the amount of, you know, different guitars and things that I have. So, guitarist to guitarist, uh, how many guitars you got in the arsenal these days? Uh, 43. Wow. And I'm not saying, wow, well, because of the quantity. The quantity really doesn't surprise me. It's more just the... Uh, the amazing speed of that answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I did inventory recently. Yeah. So I, I'm a, I'm a, my wife and I don't have kids. So, uh, my life is, um, has revolved around my passion for music. And so I have a, a really big collection of guitars. And a lot of that comes down to, I built my own studio. Um, and, and so, you know, part of that is learning that in the early days I would have like three or four Les Pauls and that was it. But now I'm buying, uh, strats and telecasters and V's and baritone guitars and, 
mid sixties Gibson Melody Makers and Hollow Bodies and Charvel Strats and I'm buying you know, basses and because they all have a different sound and I've started to recognize that um and then I could have three strats but I have them with different pickup configurations. So that maybe one has more of a Hendrix vibe and one has more of a Stevie Ray Vaughan vibe and one has a David Gilmore vibe. And the more crayons that you have in the box, the more colorful pictures that you can paint. And I really believe that having a big collection of guitars is very helpful uh, in the writing process and, and in recording in that you can be more expressive with when you have options. And then the other part of it is when you have guests over, you know, they just get all kinds of impressed when they walk into the room and see you know, piles of guitars. So you'd let those guests pick the guitars up and take the invariable stab at the classic riffs from like Smoke on the Water? Hell no. So you invoke the uh, the classic guitar store deal of uh, no smoke, no stairway? <laughs> That's right. <yeah. laughs> because they'll play it wrong like everyone does. So when you do writing, I mean, is it, is it kind of a, a regimen for you or do you write on the road or only write at home or just when you're getting ready to jam for a new album or how do you approach that? No, I write constantly and most of it is in my practice time. I'm constantly logging ideas in my phone. So that's been, it used to be an old handheld cassette recorder. I used to have like, I went from like the big cassette recorder, uh, uh, you know, like when you were a kid that was like the size of, uh, oh, I, I don't know, was, you know, it, the buttons were on the top and it had a built-in speaker and it had full-size cassette. Oh, yeah, I've been guilty of using boom boxes in the past, too. You know, and then then I got the handheld model that looked like the size of a Walkman, and then I got the mini cassette one, and then I got a mini disc uh, and then they came out with the, you know, the hard disk versions that you could hang a little handheld one. So, but I've always kept, uh, some type of a recorder with me at all times just to capture what little ideas I may have come up with. And it could be just, um, um, a drum beat in my head. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and walk into the other room and because I'm, you know, somewhere between, you know, I'm kind of somewhat lucid, but I have this idea. And I'll go hum it into the, and I listen to it the next morning. Go, why did I get out of bed for that? It was terrible. <laughs> but, but you have to at least try to log everything. And then I give it a name, like, you know, I'll, something it sounds like, like Sabbath slow, like, because it sounds to me like something that was like NIB or something or, you know, and I'm, so I'm constantly logging it. And sometimes it's just a lyric idea or, I hear a, a quote in a movie that some words, the way they're put together, sound good. And so it, it can be any number of things, but I'm constantly logging ideas. And what about the other end of it? Do you ever write on the road, you know, on the bus, hotel room, jamming at sound check, something like that? We, we've done that a couple of times. Like um, one crazed anarchist I wrote in my sleep on the bus on a European tour and <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I got out of the bunk for some reason. It was just something. I don't know why. In the back lounge, I picked up my guitar. I wrote it. I kind of recorded down the ideas. Then it sound check. I started playing it. I said, "Hey Frank, could you play this drum beat?" Everybody cued in all together, and we wrote one crazed anarchist in you know one sound check. It was great. It was so cool. It was um, it was one of the few times that that's ever happened for Fozzie, but. In the old days, 
uh, for Stuck Mojo, we used to write at Soundcheck all the time. Uh, and a lot of that was just because when we would tour in Stuck Mojo, you know, in the 90s, you didn't have five-band bills. Um, you know, there's so many bands on bills now that sound checks are a little shorter than they used to be. Because you want to, you know, you don't want to just, if there's two local bands and two bands touring with you, you know, you don't want to be a total jerk and not give them a chance to get their equipment up on stage and make sure they're all situated. So you don't want to just sit up there and, you know, spend two hours jamming. Uh, I mean, I've seen other bands do it, but for me, uh, it seems... It, 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 Unless you really have a deadline on working through some songs, it you know to me it's a little more respectful if you just wanted to go uh, in the back of the bus with the guys if um, if you're pressed for time. Yeah, I definitely hear you on that one. I remember uh, I remember a gig at at the Channel in Boston back in the uh, the early '90s. Uh, Meatloaf was the headliner, and there were about four or five of us on the bill, and. Um, he took so long with sound check that absolutely nobody else got a sound check at all that day. And uh, yeah, we were all we were all pretty pissed off about that. But yeah, I know I, I hear you, and I've done the same thing to kind of get on, get checked, get the hell out out of the way. No need to be the uh, the dick band on a multi band bill. So I do know that we are running down on time here for this chat, but I do want to let you uh, let out all of the social media sites that people can find out what's going on with Fozzie where to get all of your latest tour date information, connect with you guys, all that good stuff. So uh, why don't you take this opportunity to rattle all that stuff off for us? Yeah, so Fozzie Rock is is the Instagram and the Twitter and the Facebook. So uh, yeah, F-O-Z-Z-Y-R-O-C-K. And I'm the Duke of Metal um, on Twitter and uh, and uh, Rich Ward the Duke on Instagram. So, um, you know, I'm... I actually interact a decent amount. Uh, and most of the folks I interact with are other guitar players. And uh, a part of that is just because I find that the people that I, I, you know, kind of correspond with back, we just kind of have that common interest in guitars and amps and that kind of stuff. So it's always neat. I've, you know, I've kind of become friends with some folks that I'm big fans of musically and chat with them a little bit online. And that's, Social media is a cool thing. I mean, there's obviously, as we talked about, there's a dark side to it, um, but there's a dark side to everything, right? And it's just a matter of, it's a matter of uh, utilizing the world in a way that uh, you know that suits us the best, and try not to get caught up in the bad stuff. Yeah, I hear you, and it's definitely uh, troll city, and it's easy to get sucked into a lot of that stuff. But uh, you know, just a few seconds ago, you talked about you know using uh, being online and and being able to uh talk to and actually sometimes be get get to be friends with some of the uh, other guitar guys that you look up to and, and just curious ever have any contact with doug aldrich we've had him on the show a few times before and uh, actually within the uh, next couple of weeks or so we are due to catch up with him again to do a uh a big career retrospective because obviously the guy has had a uh, an amazing career so you ever have a chance to hook up with doug oh i met him for the first time at download this year and i freaked out uh, I mean, he's one of my heroes. That, uh, that White Snake live DVD from like 2005 or 2006 is like one of my favorite live shows ever. And he's like one of the few true rock stars left on the planet, guitar heroes. I mean, he and Zach, uh, and, uh, he's just like one of those guys that when I first saw him play, I was like, yeah, I mean, he's the total package. He, he, you know, he reminds me a little bit of, the next generation of John Sykes, he has all those really brilliant 
fast licks, but he emotes in the right ways. He bends the strings beautifully. Um, and so, you know, in my pantheon of guitar players, he's up there with my favorites along with, you know, Randy Rhodes and, you know, like I said, I mean, my two favorite of all time of kind of rock guys, um, are John Sykes and, uh, and Neil Sean. Uh, but Doug's in my top five, man. He's just, he's great. So, uh, please send him my best when you speak with him and tell him that he's got a fanboy, uh, in a, in a little band with a wrestler in it. No problem. I will be sure to do that. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, we might as well end this one on a high note with that. I want to thank you so much, Rich, for taking so much time today to talk to us here on Focus on Metal. And, you know, best of luck with the new album, Judas. And hopefully, you know, the tour is going to swing by the Boston area and we'll be able to come out and see you live and maybe even uh, shake your hand, buy you a drink. Nice. Well, you've got my phone number now, so text me beforehand and I'll make sure it happens. Awesome. Sounds good, man. And uh, again, good luck with the new album. Hope that uh, this one's another successful one for you. Really appreciate it. Again, man, thanks for the time today, and uh, for you know, for uh, and also thanks for putting up with me being a little lit on it. I really do appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Rich. Comes with the territory. Uh, just you know, keep on pumping out the great tunes. You got it, brother. I look forward to seeing you soon. All right, Rich. Have a great rest of the day. Right. You too, man. Big thanks to Rich Ward for taking time out from uh, his busy promotional schedule for the new album to talk to us here on Focus on Metal. And if you want to find out more about those guys, especially all the tour dates that those road dogs are going to be undertaking, you can go to FozzyRock.com. It's also where you can find them on Twitter as well, Twitter.com, FozzyRock. And if you dug the uh, couple of tracks we played off of Judas, then definitely go out and pick yourself a copy of that album. So uh, before I get out of here for the week, I just want to mention that, yes, a few weeks ago, Iron Maiden announced a brand new 2018 tour. They're calling it the Legacy of the Beast World Tour. Starts in, uh, in May, May 26th in Estonia. Runs all the way through right now, at least, until... Uh, August 10th at the O2 Arena in London. And they do say on their uh, their whole tour schedule as well, no further countries will be added to this touring schedule. So I uh, hope that uh, maybe they're forgetting uh, something and that eventually we will have uh, U.S. dates added to this because definitely talk to a few people about the whole contact of this tour and they definitely want to have, uh, have Iron Maiden come and return to these shores and do this tour as well. And uh, Kill Switch Engage is actually going to be the the guest on there. So definitely, if you're living over in Europe, you're going to be over in Europe, then you want to see about getting yourself some tickets to uh, the Legacy of the Beast tour. And actually, what they're saying about this one here, just quoting it right off of the website, is uh, for this history-slash-hits tour, we decided to base this theme around the Legacy of the Beast name, which suits our purposes perfectly by giving us the scope to get creative and have some fun, especially with Eddie. Don't want to give too much away at the moment, but we're working on a number of different stage sets, all in keeping with the Maiden tradition. We hope to give our fans a fantastic experience when they come to see this very special show. And I do know I heard that it was going to be pretty much bunch of stuff from the 80s and then uh, some new stuff as well but all in all looks like a killer bill to want to get out and see and uh, you know i think as more details of this come out this will uh, definitely be a topic of discussion between richie and myself uh, both of us you know going over to see the last tour as well and uh, of course if you haven't picked up the uh, book of souls live chapter 
then you uh, definitely want to go and get that as well. So uh, there you go. A little bit of maiden news to uh, to wrap up this episode of Focus on Metal. So anyways, that is it for this week. That's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for uh, Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.